Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to The Phoenix Within Us. My name is Laura Nix, and I created this podcast to remind you of your own inner phoenix, of your ability to overcome whatever it is that life throws at you, and to grow and be reborn through it. Welcome back. If you have listened before, and if this is your first time here, hello, hi, nice to meet you. So glad that you're joining me, whenever it is that you are listening to this. Before we get into today's episode, which is an important one, so stick around for that, I'm going to start it off how I always started off with kind of like a life update, what's been going on in my life in the last week. So I mentioned in the last episode that I was getting two tattoos and I got those and I love them so much. I love them so much. I got a butterfly and I got my daughter's name, Lennon, on me, so cute, fun. The butterfly is actually like, it's bigger than any of my other tattoos. And all of my other ones are just like dainty little line work ones. So it's taking some getting used to having like a butterfly with like shading and all of that good stuff on it and like the size, but I like it and it's there permanently. So it doesn't really matter at the end of the day anyways, but I do love it. It's just giving me some imposter syndrome and This past weekend, I went down to Bloomington to visit my friend and my sister. It is was both of their birthdays, so my friend's birthday was on Friday and my sister's birthday was on Saturday, so I got to hang out with both of them, and we had just like this little picnic for my friend's birthday, and then on Saturday, me and my friend went to the salt cave. It was more like a room than a cave, but it kind of had like cave vibes in there. And it was just so much fun. Like you breathe and I don't know if it's just like vaporized salt or what exactly it is, but it has like all these health benefits and it can help with like your sinuses and um, like asthma and stuff like that. But it's really just like relaxing and just good for you. And it, to me, it was like a lot of like grounding. So what me and my friend did is we were the only two in there and it's like a 45 minute session and like the entire floor is like little pebbles of salt. If you've never been in one of these before, they're really cool. You can like meditate in there. We did a little meditation. We literally made like salt angels. The owner was like, yeah, you guys could do that if you wanted to like lay on the ground or whatever. So that's what we did. We played with the salt. We meditated. We um, played with a singing bowl and just like I showed her how to use that and it was just a really beautiful experience. This is a friend that I have had. It's my longest friend that I have ever had. We've known each other since we were like two. So we've been friends for a really long time. And it was just nice to be able to spend some time with her and to do this really fun salt cave. And then the night before that, I went out to a bar with her and some of her friends. And that was really fun because like I don't get to do that a whole lot anymore. And I haven't been to Bloomington much since I turned 21. I think this was the third time that I'd been down there. So it was really fun to be able to like go out, but we were like back by like midnight, which is like my ideal night because there was like an early tailgate the next morning that people were going to. Um, So like that's my ideal night. It's like to be out for like two or three hours and like in bed by like 1230 or one and then get to like sleep in the next day because I'm just not like the going out type of person. But I did have a good time and I enjoyed myself and yeah, it was really nice to just be able to have some like time away, some time to just like hang out with friends and spend time with people that I truly care about and truly love. So that's my life update. Um, I've been like so drained of energy and I think I shared this, I don't know if it was last week's episode or when it was, but I've just been so drained of energy lately. Like I just, I don't even know. I think that I just have some like some mental health stuff going on maybe. And then I also have some like physical health stuff going on. And today I've just been like such a grump and just not a nice person to be around. And I don't exactly know why, but anyways, that kind of leads into today's topic, which I think this has been like a long time coming. Um, I, before I released the first episode back in like 
July, I want to say, I like had done a poll on my Instagram asking people like what they wanted to hear about. And a lot of people said my mental health journey. So today is the day that I'm going to be sharing that. Um, Just doing it. I've shared before that I'm kind of reluctant to share it, but like there's no time like the present. So that is what we are going to be doing today. And this is like a very, obviously a very vulnerable topic to be able to like share all of this, to share my journey from like start to finish. Like you are getting to know the up close and the personal. And there's probably stuff that like even my closest friends don't know because like they haven't been there through all of it. So yeah, this is like super vulnerable. Like you are getting to know the inner thoughts of Lauren Nix. Not that that that's big of a deal, but I want to share this story, share my story, because I want to inspire other people to share theirs and to let people know that they're not alone in their suffering. They're not alone in their struggle. They're not alone in their mental illness or mental health journey. And before I get into the whole story, I have two things. I want to share a disclaimer and then a trigger warning. So we're going to start with a disclaimer. And my disclaimer is that this is my story. Like, I'm not trying to bash anybody in the story. I'm not going to use names or anything, but I am going to use like things that have happened in my life that have affected my mental health and have triggered my mental illness. And in no way am I blaming other people for my mental health problems at all. But this is a part of my story and these are events that have shaped this story. So that is my Disclaimer, I'm also not looking for pity at all. I'm not looking for people to be like, oh my gosh, like her life sucks, like whatever, because my life doesn't suck. It's it's beautiful. It's amazing. I'm so blessed in so many ways, but I do still struggle with mental illness. So I'm just sharing my story again to help others feel comfortable in sharing their own stories and to let people know that they're not alone. And I know that in like the mental health community, that's something that you hear a lot is like, oh, you're not alone but you always do feel alone. And so by sharing this very vulnerable side of my life with all of you, I just want to inspire everyone else to be more vulnerable and to also just know that like you truly aren't alone, that there are people in the world who deal with similar things that you might deal with, or maybe not. Maybe my story is just very unique. I don't know because I haven't talked to a whole lot of people about this kind of stuff. And then I'm also going to do a trigger slash content warning that I'm going to be talking about anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation. And if any of that triggers you, you don't have to listen to this episode. I won't be mad at you. Don't worry. But if you get triggered later on in the episode, please contact a mental health professional and work through that. So yeah, that's what I have to say. My mental health journey has been my whole life. Truly, from the time that I was like a young kid until now where I'm almost 22 years old. But I didn't know when I was younger that that was happening. I didn't have the vocabulary for that, obviously, as a child. And I didn't have that vocabulary until I was in middle school. And even then, I didn't realize that I had been struggling with this type of stuff for my whole life until... I was like 18 or 19 or 20. I don't really remember when I realized that like this had been a pattern throughout my life. But around four or five years old was when I first experienced anxiety. And like I said, I didn't know that it was anxiety until I was much older, but it felt like something bad was going to happen. Like if you've ever had that feeling like, oh shoot, something bad's about to happen. Like those knots in your stomach, like the physical feeling just like rushing over you, that is what I began experiencing from the time I was like four or five years old. Like I can remember the certain instance when I first felt it and nothing bad happened, at least nothing bad that I'm aware of. But that's the first time that I felt anxiety. And throughout my life, I have felt that again and again, that physical wave of anxiety that just like takes over and just feels like something awful is about to happen like physically. And then I was also a super emotional kid. I cried a lot and I didn't know why I was crying. Like there would be times where I would just feel so sad and I didn't know why I felt sad because there wasn't like a specific reason. I just 
was. And I remember in fourth grade, I was late to school and I refused to get out of the car. I did not want to go to school. I had some like stuff going on, but it wasn't like conscious to me. Like I wasn't being like, oh, I'm avoiding school. Like I was just like, I don't want to go. I don't feel good. I feel so sad. But I didn't know how to really explain that I was just sad and that I just wanted to lay in bed all day as a nine or 10 year old. And I remember um, I started seeing a guidance, like the guidance counselor at my school in fourth grade. And she just, she made things worse for me. I don't remember the specifics now, but I do know that I struggled with the idea of therapy for a very long time because of this guidance counselor, because she, in my nine, 10 year old mind, made me feel like it was all my fault, the stuff that I was dealing with. But again, like I don't remember specifics. I just remember how this guidance this guidance counselor made me feel. And she just made me hate the idea of therapy for a long time. So I avoided it for a very long time, which we'll get into that part. And I hope that this episode isn't too long. Like I hope that we keep it under like an hour, maybe like 40 minutes tops because I could talk for a long time. And I also just feel like kind of all over the place right now and I want to share this story, but I'm also really nervous. Like my foot is shaking. My legs shake a lot when I get nervous and they just shake all the time anyways, but like my foot is like shaking like crazy and I just feel so sporadic right now and like my brain doesn't feel very put together, but I do have my notes in front of me. So if it sounds like not very like emotional or enthusiastic or like I'm really telling the story and I'm just like reading off my notes. That's probably what's going on. But still, the story is real. I'm just really nervous. So that's why the sound's kind of scripted. So in sixth grade, around the time that I was like 12 is when I really noticed that I began to experience symptoms of depression. And I have shared before kind of like what this time in my life was like inside of my little 12-year-old mind. I experienced a lot of criticism and I felt a lot of comparison to other people. This is the time that I got social media and it's just crazy how much like what the effects are of social media on a mind that young. But Yeah, there's just a lot of criticism and a lot of comparison, and I am sure that those affected my mental health, but this is really around the time that I started to experience symptoms of depression and just being very down on myself, being very critical of myself, constantly feeling like I didn't belong, like I didn't fit in, and that added to my feelings of depression. So throughout junior high, anxiety and ways of depression just like ruled my life. I didn't know what it was or why I felt that way. I didn't understand why I felt so sad or so critical of myself. I didn't understand why I would get so anxious. I didn't understand. I didn't understand what I was feeling. And I don't think anyone in my family really understood what I was feeling because Like my parents' generation, and I'm sure most of the generation of parents of people who are listening, if you are my age, like they didn't know what mental illness was really. Like they didn't have vocabulary for that. A lot of people in that generation have experienced anxiety and depression, but they didn't ever call it that. They were just taught to like toughen up and move on. So I didn't have vocabulary for it. I don't think my parents had the vocabulary for it. None of my friends had the vocabulary for it. And mental health wasn't even like a huge thing when I was in junior high. So this is back in like 2012 through like 2014. So people didn't really like have the vocabulary for it at that age. And I just had no sense of self. And I've shared that before in the Not an Identity Crisis episode that I just had no sense of self. And I think this really added to my anxiety of trying to fit in and be who I thought other people wanted me to be. I've shared that I was constantly trying to be like other people so that people would like me. And I think that constant charade 
really played into my anxiety and played into my depression that like, oh, who I am is not somebody that other people would like. And then if I show the real me, then that will get me rejected. And I do think that that played into my mental health. But I do think that that was also a result of years of being put down by other people. I was bullied in elementary school by girls in my class, just mean (laughs) third and fourth grade girls. And I was bullied for who I was, for the things that I was interested in, for my dreams, for my passions, for my desires. I was a very spunky little kid and very confident and very bold. And I knew who I was when I was younger. And I was bullied a lot for that. And so I think that that, I think that me trying to be somebody else because I was scared of rejection was a direct result of that. And so again, all of this ties into like the mental anguish that I was in during this time period of my life. So things kind of come to a head. Shit kind of hits the fan when I was 14. So at age 14, summer before high school, summer after eighth grade, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And this was like almost a sigh of relief for me to be like, oh my gosh, like there's an explanation for why I feel the way that I do. And that's like a big thing with me. Like I want an answer for what's going on. I don't want to just guess or feel like I'm crazy or feel like something's wrong with me or I'm making things up. I like to have a label to put on things to help me cope with it better and to help me better understand myself and what is going on with me. So I finally had an explanation for why I felt the way I did. And this is the time that I got put on medicine for anxiety. I was not on an antidepressant at this point because anxiety was my biggest issue. Anxiety ruled my life. Depression like came and went, but it wasn't like severe depression at this point. It was just like almost moodiness, I guess I would say. But it was still, I was still diagnosed with like mixed anxiety and depressive disorder. And I remember the doctor saying that one is probably causing the other, but they didn't know which one was causing which. So yeah, it's also kind of hard to remember that. Like I remember bits and pieces, obviously, of that time. I remember a lot about junior high, but I don't always remember exactly what my emotions were, but I do remember that anxiety was my biggest issue. So I went on medicine for my anxiety. And then I ended up stopped taking it. I don't know. I struggle with taking medicine, just like being consistent with it. And I didn't think that there was a difference, but I know my friends did notice that there was a difference. And it was also nice knowing that I had really great friends. I did have some amazing friends who were supportive of me and knew that I had this anxiety and like worked with me through it and like were paying attention to when I was good and when I was bad. So I go into high school and I had a rough start to high school. I transferred schools two days before the school year started. There are two high schools in my school district and I transferred from one to the other because I had so much anxiety about the school that I was going to. I was terrified to go there. So I transferred to the one where a lot of my friends were going. And while going to that school was the best thing for me in the long run, I had an incredibly rough start to high school. My first love, so I know I was so young, I was only 14, and I feel kind of silly saying that sometimes. Like, oh, I had my first love when I was 14, but like, girls mature faster than boys do. I guess that's the best way to say it, and I know a lot of people who've had their first love at like 14, 15, whatever. Anyways, not the point. It is the point though. (laughs) Um, My first love broke up with me due to my mental health issues. Like first, second week of high school, he broke up with me. And I remember like we met like at like the lockers because obviously we're like 14. We're freshmen. We can't drive. Like I'm going to catch the bus. He was doing something after school. And I remember him saying that my mental health issues were too much for him to handle. And that he didn't want to date me anymore. And at that point, we've been dating for like almost a year, which right now that doesn't sound like very long. But to me, as a 14-year-old, like 
that was like my whole life. Like this was like the first person that I loved and he was breaking up with me for things that I felt like were completely out of my control. And obviously, again, I don't blame him for that. He was a 14, 15 year old boy. Like I get it. But that event was very traumatizing for me. The whole breakup and what came after was very traumatizing for me and just how my friends acted at that time and how I just felt very alone. It felt like my biggest nightmares were coming true. And I, it just wounded me. Like it deeply, deeply wounded me. And if you knew me at that time in my life, like you know how much this event affected me and how much it still affects me to this day, even though I'm in like a wonderful relationship with the love of my life and I have a beautiful daughter, like this event still affected me deeply. And everyone talks about like their wounded inner child. And I guess 14, you're still like a kid, but I have a wounded inner 14 year old. I have this 14 year old who needs to be healed, who needs to be taken care of. And sometimes she comes up in issues in my life today. And I'm like, why did I act like that? And I think about it and I'm like, oh, that's the 14 year old in me acting out right now. She's, she's hurt. So she's kind of taken over right now. But yeah, that's a whole different thing, I guess. I don't know a whole lot about all of the wounded inner child stuff and how to work through that. But yeah, I have this wounded inner 14 year old in me who's still, still affects me. Like she still hurts. And sometimes like you listen to certain songs and it takes you back to a certain time in your life. And sometimes I just like, I don't know. I wish, I wish I could go back in time and just hug her and play with her hair and lay in bed with her as she went through this breakup, her first real breakup and all of this stuff. So like I said, that still affects me. I never healed from it. I never fully healed from that breakup. I never fully healed from that first semester of high school. I didn't know how to. I had no idea how to. I did try to go to therapy at one point. But like I said, I have some past hesitation with like that guidance counselor from like fourth grade that even though I was in ninth grade, a freshman in high school, five years later as a 14-year-old instead of a nine or 10-year-old, I still had a lot of hesitations. It felt really weird to talk about my feelings openly because that wasn't always something that I was allowed to do was talk about my feelings openly. I learned pretty quickly that people didn't always want my big emotions, so I kept them to myself and it was very difficult to try to talk to someone about that. And also the therapist that I was going to was in like more of a downtown like urban area and some of the people that went in there, I felt like their problems were more important than mine. I felt really, really dumb going there and having these problems when I felt like the other people in the waiting room had problems that were way worse than mine based off like conversations I would overhear. So yeah, I stopped going to that. I was so, I was so depressed at that time. That was the time I had my first like major depressive episode. I remember just crying all the time. I remember a few times my mom had to pick me up from school because like she would drop me off to make sure I got there or I would ride the bus or whatever it is that I did that day and I would have to call her and have her come back and get me because I just – I couldn't do it. I couldn't be in school. Um, I just – yeah, that was a – that was a really rough time in my life. Um, I'm about to cry. Like I know all of the story. I've like written this all out, but like I guess saying it, There's the inner 14-year-old in me that's just so upset about this. Sorry, this is dumb. No, it's not dumb. My feelings are not dumb. Your feelings aren't dumb. No one's feelings are dumb. Even if it happened seven years ago, eight years ago, they're not dumb. 
So my first major depressive episode, this is the first time in my life that I really struggled with suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation. And if you don't know what suicidal ideation is, it's more of the feeling that I want to die. I don't want to be alive. I don't want to be here. Stuff like that than having an actual plan is my understanding of the difference between being suicidal and like having suicidal ideation. And I just felt so alone. Like my friends didn't get it. They didn't get why I was sad. I would tell them that I was feeling this way and I was told that I was selfish and that, yeah, just kind of that I was selfish. Obviously it wasn't my 14 year old friend's job to help me work through this, but at the time I just felt so sad and abandoned and just so alone. I did have a few friends who were just, who went through all this with me and who were there for me and just basically like held my hand through all this. I'm so thankful for those girls, but again, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not trying to bash anybody. I'm not even mentioning names because there's no point in that. It's just like, it's not, it's not like, I'm not angry with them anymore. I just remember how much it hurt. So that's when I struggled with my first depressive episode. Again, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation, didn't want to be alive, didn't want to go to school, didn't want to do anything. I just, yeah, yeah, I was really, really depressed. And so that is kind of what started the major depressive disorder, I think is that's what it's called that I have. So it went from just feeling like sad sometimes and having like these depressive symptoms and having like the overall depression to like having a major depressive disorder. And throughout high school, I continued to constantly struggle with anxiety and the depression was on and off throughout high school. And even now I've gotten like a depressive episode about once a year, sometimes twice a year, and they usually last about a month, sometimes longer, but usually usually about a month. And a lot of times it has to do with the start of a school year. Like that is the biggest like trigger. And that's like the biggest common factor in the cycle of my depressive episodes. And I'm sure that it has to do with like the trauma that I experienced as a freshman in high school. And I hate, I don't, I feel weird saying the word trauma. And like, I'm being honest with you guys because I'm saying this and I'm like, oh my gosh, Lauren, you sound stupid. But that's my brain just being mean to me as it does. Because trauma is different from everyone. And just because I experienced something and that's traumatic to me doesn't mean that that would be traumatic to somebody else. And something that isn't traumatic to me could be traumatic to somebody else. And I understand that there are people in the world with much bigger problems, much bigger traumas and all of that. But my feelings and my trauma are also valid. So that's a reminder of myself. And that's also a reminder to you if you ever say that to yourself, that your experiences and your feelings around your experiences are valid. Anyways, depressive episodes last about a month. Started the school year as a major trigger from the previous trauma of like that first semester of school. So the fall is always kind of a trigger for me. And then I think lately we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Never mind. We'll get there when we get there. And school also continues to be a trigger for me because you go from like no structure during the summer or even during like winter break to like assignments and just go, 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 go all of the time. So that's a trigger for me, which I believe I have shared before. And then my senior year, I struggled with depression more than usual. I don't remember why. And again, like with having depression, there isn't always a reason. There isn't always a huge trigger. Sometimes with this chemical imbalance that I have inside my head, it just resurfaces. It's almost like you go into remission and then it comes back for a little bit and then you're fine again and then it comes back. Like I always will struggle with depression, but that doesn't mean it is always 
controlling my life, if that makes sense. Or that doesn't always mean that I am constantly depressed, if that makes any sense whatsoever. But my senior year, I struggled with it more than usual. And I had a mentor, someone who I really love and look up to and admire, suggested to me to try medicine. And she didn't say it like, oh, you should try medicine. She was just like, have you ever been on medicine before? And I was like, yeah, I've been on anxiety meds before, but they didn't really help. She's like, oh, well, you have ever been on like antidepressants? I was like, no, I haven't really thought about that. And she was like, oh, okay. Like, I was just curious. I didn't know if that's something that you tried to like try to help. And that inspired me and encouraged me to talk to my doctor and I went on Prozac which was life-changing once I went and I got on the right dose because they start you off in like a low dose and then work your way up to find the right one it was life-changing like it felt like I had woken up for the first time in a long time like I felt like myself again. I felt energetic. I felt excited. And I would feel that on and off. But like I said, senior year, I was depressed for a longer period of time. And this is also a time where I was really struggling with my narcolepsy. So that could have also been a factor and why I felt the way I felt. But I felt like myself again for the first time in a long time. And it was amazing. And I know that there's a huge stigma around meds, like medicine, antidepressants, anxiety medicine, whatever it is. And I hate that stigma so much. Like medicine for mental health, for mental illness is not for everyone. And just because Prozac worked amazing for me doesn't mean that it's going to work amazing for you or someone. And if Some people just don't handle it well. And again, medicine isn't for everyone. I know that there's more like natural ways that you can treat it, but like I hate the stigma around it. I know one point someone said to me like, oh, that stuff scares me. Like I wouldn't want to have to change my brain. Okay, well, good for you because you have a brain that functions correctly, that doesn't need medicine to get out of bed in the morning. Like If I just let my brain do what it does, I wouldn't get out of bed. I wouldn't want to be alive. So I use medicine to feel like normal people feel. So I get how to somebody who has never struggled with mental illness, especially like not like severe mental illness, that it might be like a scary thing or whatever. But like the stigma is so awful. You should never make anyone feel bad about being on medicine for mental illness. And if you are on medicine for mental illness, or if you are considering it, I am not a medical professional by any means. So take what I say with a grain of salt, but it was life-changing for me. It doesn't mean it'll be life-changing for other people. You have to find the right combination, stuff like that, but don't be afraid of it. Talk to your doctor about it. Make sure it's right for you if that is something that you are considering. But don't listen to the stigma of other people who don't know what it's like inside of your head. And of course, there are other things that you can do if you don't want to do that. Like there's like exercise or omega-3s. Again, I'm not a mental health professional. I am not a doctor. This is just stuff that I have learned on my own journey. Anyways, that's my little two cents on the stigma surrounding medicine. But I did continue to struggle with anxiety pretty frequently. Like, anxiety still was a big thing for me. I don't really remember because I'm in such a weird state of mind right now. Like, my brain isn't working correctly. So, I can't really think of my triggers (laughs) for anxiety right now. But, like, I was constantly anxious. It It was almost like there were no triggers. I was just anxious all the time. So we are going to skip to the pandemic because my anxiety throughout 2018 to 2020, like once I got on Prozac, anxiety was my main issue and I experienced depression a little bit, but it wasn't as severe as before when I was on the medicine. So with isolation, with quarantining, with not speaking to people outside of my family, like not seeing them in real life, staying inside my house most of the time or going on walks 
with isolation. And then I also started dating my boyfriend during quarantine or during the pandemic. I started to experience some severe, not even severe, I guess not severe, but some severe compared to what I was used to social anxiety. Like now, when I go out in public with people, I get so nervous before I will cancel on plans with somebody, even if it's someone that I truly love and I love spending time with because I'm just so nervous. (laughs) I don't know how to talk to people anymore especially in like the past year with being pregnant and having a daughter and all this stuff, I've just had like worse and worse social anxiety. But it started during COVID and like right after quarantine. And I struggled with depression a lot, especially in the school year and fall of 2020. Like I mentioned, I didn't know how to hang out with people anymore because I got so comfortable just hanging out with my boyfriend And I got so used to just either being by myself or hanging out with my boyfriend or like one other friend that I didn't know how to hang out with people anymore. And I was so scared to ask. Again, like I have struggled with fear of rejection for my entire life, not my entire life, but for at least all of my adolescent life and now into adulthood, I've struggled with the fear of rejection. So I was really, really scared to ask people to hang out. And even if people would be like, oh, yeah, we should hang out sometime. I was so in my head that I thought that like they didn't actually like me and that they were just saying that to be nice and not like they actually wanted to go and spend time with me. So, yeah, I'm the type of person who I feel like I want other people to reach out to me to hang out with me because I'm so scared that like they're just saying yes to be nice instead of like actually wanting to spend time with me if I ask them. Like that's my own insecurities. And during the fall of 2020, I was in a depressive episode for like, I think all of October and into November. I was just sad, just drained, just bleh. And I remember I went to this place with my boyfriend. We went camping and it was so beautiful. It was in the mountains and it was just breathtaking. And it was this place that I'd been wanting to go to for so long. And I was just so like, okay. Like I just didn't feel excited about it, which is disappointing. And I hope that I can go back and feel excited about it because it was so beautiful. And I wish I enjoyed it more while I was there. And then with pregnancy, I really struggled with my mental health. I had a hard time accepting that I was pregnant, accepting that this is my life path. I felt like my life was over, which obviously isn't true. But that is how I felt when I found out. That is how I felt throughout my pregnancy. Also, all of the hormones that you experience, I just felt so alone. I transferred schools. I didn't see any of my friends because I felt so weird about being pregnant. And I will share more of that in a future episode. I will also share more about like motherhood and all of that type of stuff and like postpartum depression and anxiety that I struggled with in a future episode. But I'm just going to give like a little brief rundown here. So after my daughter was born, about two months, I want to say two, three months afterwards, I really started to struggle with postpartum depression and anxiety, and I struggled a lot with suicidal ideation, which was very difficult, obviously, because I loved my daughter so much, and I love her now so much, and it was just hard to, like, feel those feelings, but also, like, know that I love her and just a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that I will share in a future episode, but that time of postpartum depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation that I struggled with then was when I finally started to take my mental health seriously. It took until probably March or April. I think in March, early April, I started making videos every day on TikTok for probably like a week. I think I ended up stopped doing it because I ran out of storage on my phone. Um, But I would take videos of like being a mom and struggling with mental illness and just kind of like what my days would look like. It was 
it was a really hard time and I'm still on the mend from that. So again, I will share that in a future episode. But that is when I started to take my mental health seriously. I was like, I'm so sick of feeling like this. I don't want to feel like this anymore. I want to be here for my daughter. I want to watch her grow up. I want to see her get married one day. That's what she chooses for herself. Like, I want to be here for it all. And I also want to heal from my own shit so that I don't pass down my trauma and my shit to my daughter. So I found a therapist that I like. I've been going to therapy since May. I think April. I don't know. There was a point where I was so deep in like postpartum depression that like I was living with my boyfriend and his parents two hours from where I currently live with my family and my mom and my sister and their girlfriend drove up and like did like an intervention and they're like, we're not leaving until you find a therapist. Like that's how bad that it got. And I'm not really ready to share all of that yet because it's still fresh. It's still new to me. It's still the wounds haven't healed. They're like maybe starting to scab over, I guess. That's kind of a gross description, but yeah. So, and I realized that so many of my struggles and problems have come from me not knowing how to cope or handle things. I've never really been given the skills throughout my life to know how to cope with things. Like I've shared in my first episode that I don't know how to cope with change and that's been really hard for me. And I think that that has played into some of my mental health problems. I'm just not good at handling a whole lot of things. Um, My plate is a lot smaller than it used to be. Like I used to be able to fit a lot of things on my plate and now I got a small plate and I can't fit as many things on it. My mental health is very, very fragile lately, especially in the past year. And I haven't healed from shit that's happened throughout my life. Like clearly I said that there's still things that affect me from when I'm 14 and I got to heal that inner 14-year-old inside of me so that I can heal the 21, almost 22-year-old that I am right now. And I'm on a healing journey. And I think that's what the next episode is going to be. It's kind of like what I have been doing to try to heal. Because healing isn't linear. I have good days. I have bad days. I have bad weeks, bad months. This whole last year has been, there's been some really good times actually. There's been, I felt pretty good for a few weeks. I went, I think birth control was really affecting me. I went on that once Lennon was born and I went off of it in May, which is about even just a few weeks after being off of birth control, I felt so much better. I felt less moody. Birth control makes me very moody. And I just felt a lot better being off of it. So like I said, healing isn't linear. And it's like right now I'm struggling. Like I don't know why I'm struggling. I don't know if it's because I'm overwhelmed with school or just because the chemicals in my brain aren't working right right now. I wasn't on an antidepressant all summer which actually was really good for me. My mental health was probably the best that it's been in a while, even though I was overwhelmed with a lot of things. I felt good mentally. So I am going to get back on Prozac. I didn't share that part, but I like stopped taking it because I wasn't consistent with it. And then I went to try a different kind because Prozac makes me anxious sometimes, or it did make me anxious. So I've been trying to get back into the habit of taking it every day, starting with like a lower dose, then working my way back up to what I was at before that really helped me. And yeah, because I'm just right here right now on September 18th, 2022, and I'm recording this. I just, I don't feel great. I don't feel like myself. Like I said, I've been grumpy all day, but I've been kind of grumpy just lately in general. I don't, I don't really have an exact reason why. My energy levels have been super low for health reasons, I think, but I also think it has to do with my mental health too. So that's why I'm trying the medicine again. 
And the first step for me has been realizing that I need help and that I no longer want to continue to suffer. I think everyone always says like the first step is admitting you have a problem. And I was so caught up in the cycle of misery of depression and my mental illness overall just happening to me and that there was absolutely nothing that I could do to change any of it. And while that is true in some instances, like I will always have depression. I will always, probably always, I hope that someday there's something that I can do that will make it go away forever. But I don't know if that's going to happen. So as of right now, it's always going to be something that I'm going to struggle with throughout my life on and off. But I'm not always depressed. I always have depression, but I'm not always depressed. And my anxiety has been a lot better too lately. Like I think about a month ago at this point, a few weeks ago was like the first time I felt physical anxiety in a really long time, which was amazing for me because I used to feel it constantly, at least once a day. And I haven't felt that anxiety in a long time, which is a nice thing to not feel. But yeah, the first step for me was realizing that I need help and that I no longer want to continue to suffer the way that I have throughout my life and to just, I didn't want to give up. I didn't want to give up for Lennon. And I know that it's a not good thing to say that your daughter or your baby healed you because I don't think that that's, I don't want to say that Lennon didn't do the healing. Lennon's existence has encouraged me to want to heal and want to be better for her. And I just, I want to be here so that Lennon has a mom and so that she has a mom that she has a good relationship with. And even though she's going to have a mom who struggles with mental illness, like, I still, I still want to be here for her. And I didn't want help for a long time. I just wanted to exist in my suffering and I just wanted to continue to suffer and just submit to the suffering. But that's not where I am right now. I don't want to keep feeling like this. I'm so over feeling like this and I'm starting to get back into not the best mental space right now. So I'm trying to do things that do feel good for me. And I will share that more next week of things that I'm doing to work towards healing. But I'm going to leave you with this. These are tough words to hear. This is a very, very tough pill to swallow, especially when you are in the midst of depression and you don't have energy and you don't want to pull yourself out of the tunnel or pull yourself out of the hole or find light in the tunnel, but you have to. Like only you can help you. Other people can help you. Other people can try to help you. And like there are ways that they can help, but it is ultimately up to you to decide if you are going to get better or not. And I know that that's so hard to hear because people would tell me that and it would piss me off. I'd be like, no, F that. I'm not doing that. Like, whatever. But it's true. Like, you, at the end of the day, it's up to you to decide if you are going to get better. And getting better doesn't mean that everything goes away and that life is easy all of a sudden and that your mental illness is 100% gone and you'll never see it again. I hope that for you. I hope that for me. I hope that for everyone who struggles with mental illness. But it's up to you to try to get better. It is up to you to fight. And I know that you are probably tired of fighting because, man, am I tired of fighting this. I'm tired of the cycle. I'm tired of feeling like I'm starting back at square one. I hate that healing isn't linear. I wish I didn't have to go back down into depression to get better again. Like I just, it's hard. It's so hard. And I am validating that for you, validating that for me, that mental illness is so incredibly difficult. And I'm sure that you can tell by my voice right now 
from how I'm talking to how I usually sound that there's just no energy there. And yeah, I hope, I'm not just going to hope anymore because for so long I just sat and hoped that things would get better, but like I'm taking initiative to get better. I'm doing the things, I'm going to therapy, I'm taking the medicine, I'm doing the healing girl stuff. I'm doing the work. It takes work. It's hard work. It's hard fighting. All of it is hard. By no means am I trying to say that it is just easier just like wake up and feel better because that is just not good advice at all. It's not realistic advice at all. But only you can help you. It is up to you and you alone. Your support people can be there for you, but you have to decide to get better or else nothing is going to get better. Other people can't do the work for you. And I say that with love, not with meanness, not with hatred, not with suck it up and get over it because I don't believe in telling people that. But I do believe that it is up to you and it is up to me to get better. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. It was a hard one. It was a hard one for me to record and it's pretty long, not going to lie. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that by me sharing my story that you feel less alone in your struggles, less alone in the things that you've gone through. And I hope that you feel inspired to share your story, to be more open and honest about what you're going through because it's not good to suffer in silence. It's much better when you have people who know what's going on and who are able to support you through that. So I love you. Thank you for listening. And you're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. Love you. Bye. Thank you.